0: Today I have one of my favorite people on, and she's been here with me before, Michelle Thompson. And we've been talking about this interview actually for like literally months and months and months, because we are living in wild times, y'all. <laughs> like, we are living in wild times. And Michelle is somebody who's really part of the solution. Michelle Thompson, JD, and PhD, talk about a bunch of alphabets at the end of her name, is the CEO, another bunch of alphabets, of Resistant Vision Coaching and Consulting. She helps women lawyers who work extreme hours to provide their prowess, build sustainable careers, and earn promotions and raises. Her approach is based on the belief that if you never set boundaries for yourself, you will always be overworking, stuck on the hamster wheel of producing more results and losing sleep because you're always worried about clients, jobs or the next deadline. Never mind tenure or making partner and therefore not enjoying your life and building the community and connection you seek. With almost 3 decades in law and academia and over 5 years of experience as a professional coach, Michelle helps her clients achieve professional sanity with a variety of embodied techniques that combine left and right brain strategies from emotional freedom technique, tapping to strategic planning. Michelle, welcome. Thank you, Jen. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited to have you here. And I hope that, you know, y'all who are listening, And really here, just in the description that Michelle has in the bio about, you know, it's not just lawyers who do this stuff, like pretty much so many of us can get ourselves caught in this endless cycle of giving and giving and giving and overworking and not setting boundaries for self-care. And so I'm sure that you have so much to say. But the reason that I really wanted to bring you on was to talk about the idea of what is resistant vision and how is resistant vision part of the solution in a world that has kind of like gone off the rails. But before we go into all of that, I always love to start the conversation by talking about where did it all begin for you? What was it like being a kid? What was it like being a sensitive kid? And how did being an empath manifest for you? And I will just also say that I know in your case you did not necessarily recognize yourself as an empath until much much later. So, so I'm going to give it to you.
1: Okay, so true. You know, it's fascinating, a good question. It's like, "Oh, wow, that organizes my life in a very different" <laughs> lens and i feel like that like your question just did just that i was the one who adults talk to me i burst into tears mm-hmm. i was painfully shy i didn't like to talk like i didn't like to talk to people there's this one picture of me i think i must have been maybe three or four and it looks like someone's trying to talk to me and i you could just see the abject hair on my face like that i was Crazy sensitive. My parents were always telling me, stop crying. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That was, that was what I heard. So the reason why I'm a musician is because, because I was so shy. So my mom's like, okay, if you're shy. You're going to play the piano in front of people. <laughs> okay. I mean, which well, turns out that worked out okay. But, um, but that was her solution to that. You're slouching. Ballet. Off you go. Choir. Good. That gets you in front of people, right? And so that was always the solution to Which is
0: also probably good for slouching, too.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: You're gonna stand up and sing. <laughs> exactly. Lucky
1: for her, I like these things. Otherwise that would have been a that would have been a that would have been a mess. I was sent to a private I was sent to the University of Chicago Lab Schools, a private uh, school, a high quality private school on the south side of Chicago, right? So very is left brain the analytical side, very, you know, very, very. I mean, right brain. Yeah, left a, brain
0: is analytical. Right yeah, brain is the because it's, it's like the opposite of 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 exactly. kind of the way we think of things. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I I was a musician. I danced. That's the right brain part of me. But there's also this really heavy, heavy left brain thing happening too. Hence the lawyer and the academic. Exactly. So yeah. well, but but here's the thing, right? When you're the daughter of immigrants, you know, there's not a lot. <laughs> they're not a lot of it's, and it. Just it's funny like my son's father is from the philippines and i talked to other people who come from immigrant families and it really is so much the same thing like there's only there are only a few choices for a career and so my mom's like you can become a doctor you can become an accountant or you can become a lawyer and i'm like well don't like the sciences i'm not going to do accounting that sounds boring i'll become a lawyer so from the time I was twelve, I decided I'm a lawyer. <laughs> That's what I'm doing, mm, and I mm. and I actually and I did it. I like I was very focused, determined <laughs> about how to do it. So I actually ended up practicing law. I practiced law for seven years. Um, I did it uh, two years with, um, a, an organization that provided all manner of services to people with AIDS, and this was in the early '90s, right? So it was, and there's still the stigma, but the stigma was much. Was way, way crazier, like way, way off the charts then. It is really funny looking at it. I saw a newspaper photo of people who were afraid of catching HIV and they were in masks. <laughs> right. And you know that the people that you're looking at in the picture today are like, I don't want to wear a mask. Right. You know it. Right. You know it. Okay. Oh, that was
0: irony. Those were the days. Those <laughs> were the days. Those
1: were the days. So I did that. I, I you know, I bargained at the collective bargaining table and you know, it's so funny. I remember going to, I could easily tell when union members are going to, were going to come for me. If you, if you know what I mean, like when they were going to start attacking me, I would never have considered myself intuitive or empathic, but I knew, I knew it's like, Oh, this is gonna be a bad day. Right. Like, I, mm-hmm. And I knew it. I could mm-hmm. always, I could always knew it, but I, you know, I never, recognize it as such it's just like oh here we go again i'm getting paid. i'm getting picked on mind you i was i was often bullied so i probably you know i had i yeah, had, had that radar right i i know yeah. when people were going to do that but i think there's something I mean but there are people who don't who throw away the radar and keep going and i mine didn't go away mm-mm, mm-mm. so i'm practicing law i actually wanted to become a mom and i'm like i don't understand how i'm going to have a child a baby i'm going to be driving back and forth to baltimore <laughs> at
0: and all i was living the t- at the time when, you were, dri- when you were i was living in dc
1: so you were you know, living
0: in dc I was living
1: yeah. in dc right and i wanted to live in dc because the schools would have been better than in baltimore although it would have been cheaper in baltimore right mm-hmm. um and i'm like this is not sustainable this is not sustainable for a young person right and i met my spouse at the time and she said hey why don't you you could go you could go get a doctorate? and i'm like that wasn't on my list of things to do but why not let's Let's give it a whirl, right? And that's when I started my work on the descendants of a runaway of runaway slave communities in Jamaica called Maroons. Yeah, that's where I mean that that started long before my my parents are both Jamaican immigrants. And my mom's side, her mother was a descendant of Maroons, and so I there I was. I was all in. I was all in.
0: All, all in, in on the So Maroon before we project. go any further, yeah. I would really love for the people who don't know anything about the Maroons. like give us like the like the the the, The thumbnail sketch the thumbnail sketch the like the first greater you know primer Mm -hmm. primer Mm -hmm. on maroons so
1: people you know it's funny in the united states i think it still happens right we still teach slavery from the perspective like but they liked it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. There's always no. Resi- where there's where there's slavery. There's always resistance, right? Especially if you believe in duality, right? Like you can you can you know you're not going to have one without the other, right? Really, right. really, right. really,
0: right? Yeah, um, it's like resistance is the counterbalance to exactly enslaving an entire population, exactly, of exactly. Yeah. So
1: I just want to make that clear, right? And what and what it's easy to deny when you see resistance because sometimes you're not clear. You don't know that that's what you're looking at, right? Yes. But that that aside, this was obvious. (laughs) So throughout the Americas, you had people of African heritage who would run away from plantations. They would behave differently depending on where they were, right? So in the U.S. South, I'm correct. Many of those um, who were enslaved who ran away would often join indigenous communities. That's why there are lots of Black people of Cherokee Mm hmm. Um, Heritage. Mm hmm. The Spanish were the first that was the first empire to have taken the Caribbean. And that's how that's how the Spanish actually paved the way to South America. Right. Because they could stop there and then they could keep going to Mexico and and places further south. The Spanish didn't like once they found the silver mines and other mines in South America, they just kind of let the Caribbean kind of alter. I mean, there were there were definitely there were settlers there right? Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and then there were the, um, the Taino, the indigenous population there, but they didn't do a lot with it. And the British, the British and the Dutch, eventually the French, they saw an opportunity and they're like, ooh, for me? <laughs> so 1655, so this is where actually, so everyone knows about the pirates of the Caribbean. This is the context in which you get the pirates that enter. In 1655, the crown allowed pirates to come and Declare war on Spain and actually fight for Caribbean islands. Jamaica was the biggest prize that they won. That's that's why there were pirates. They were there to pull Spanish possessions into the British Empire. So they won Jamaica. But there were there were slave, the enslaved people that the Spanish had brought there already. And so when they saw that the British were coming, they were like, "Deuces, we're out." <laughs> they and they they ran so. In all of the lovely tourist commercials about Jamaica, you see the lovely beaches, but Jamaica also is home to mountains, right? On the east side, there's the Blue Mountain Range. That's where the really amazing coffee comes from. On the west side are the cockpit mountains, and they're called that because they're, they're made of lime, and because of the rain, they create these huge indentations in the landscape. But this is where the enslaved Africans ran, and they declared war on the British for almost 100 years. Um, those, are the, those are the initial Maroon communities. Mm-hmm. They negotiated a treaty with the British in 1738 or 1739, depending on what part of the island, where they would be kept from slavery, um, where they would have the treaties at 1,500 acres of land. The Maroons say it was a lot more than that, but okay, whatever. So 1,500 acres of land, they would be responsible for returning runaway slave communities and defending Jamaica from their enemies. That's the Those are the, pretty much the terms of the treaty. And that's how you have these permanent maroon communities in the middle of Jamaica.
0: Where does the word maroon come from? Do
1: you know? Like, it's often did... said it, it comes from the Spanish word cimarrones, which actually I think translates into wild hogs. Which, mm. eh, yeah, well, you know, part for the course,
0: right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just sort of thought about like being down in um, in on this. Mexican you know sort of American like sort of areas like right down on the border and sort of the idea of the Javelinas that just run wild everywhere so mm-hmm, but oh mm-hmm. <laughs> people I was wondering if it had to do with like the idea of marooned being marooned and yeah, no, kind of these not, abandoned no. populations or no, something not No, at all. it's much not more nefarious than of that of course it has yeah. to be
1: yeah that's how we that's how you come to marooned populations
0: yeah and so these are people who had a certain amount, or it sounds like had quite a bit of autonomy, in contrast to a lot of other um, sort of runaway enslaved folks and people who had sort of emancipated themselves. Absolutely, and I think, but
1: and when you so you you have maroon communities in Jamaica, you have them in Guyana, which is what is now British Guyana. You have them in Haiti. Apparently, they played a huge role in the Haitian Revolution. Like, and Cuba had. um, huge communities of them and also Brazil. But what you'll notice about the places i have lived is that the topography allow them to hide, hide and build communities. Like that's, that's the, that's the nature of the topography of where they are. That's, and that, that helped a lot.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, and what's so fascinating is you're saying this is just realizing like how much our relationship to land impacts our, our capacity for, Thriving communities versus suffering communities. Exactly and safety. Exactly. And, yeah. Just thinking about like what does the I I don't know, like it would be a really interesting thing to just look at populations in regards to like the landscape and how that affects people's autonomy and people's mm-hmm. freedom and stuff like that.
1: Right. And, I mean it's a it's a meaningful statistic that white men own eighty percent of the land. Right. Because what does that mean for the autonomy of Everyone
0: else. Of everyone else. Yeah. Well, and I think you and I might have been having this conversation about, or, and I know I've had this conversation about just sort of like women in general tend to make really different choices about how they use their resources than males do. Absolutely. And that women tend to be thinking much more in terms of philanthropy and altruism and care.
1: Or just, you know, God forbid you just
0: but grow crops for to feed people right right (laughs) let's let's get crazy let's get crazy let's actually feed people you started so you discovered so going back to your in graduate school and you discover this passion project that is just like lights your heart on fire and in many ways is really the piece that is kind of like the through line for your life of recognizing what does it mean to stand up against tyranny what does it mean to stand up against oppression and as our community likes to say empire Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know like what what does it mean to be part of the resistant vision
1: so i'll start with like my, my legal career was all based on like <laughs> Get the guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, but right. I um I never was part of Act Up but still want to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. right. Like that's that's always fueled what I did. You know, like the labor movement. I can't think of a a labor that a, a movement that when it's really functioning as it should, that's like a that's a it's a place where you can topple empire in very particular ways. The Maroons are very the history of the Maroons is a very uh it's it's very it's very connected to that as well, right? The name resistant vision came to me i mean part of it it was channeled but part but the, the, i don't think i could have channeled it without deep research into these communities so i it was a couple of years after i finished my dissertation and i was going back and revising an article and i think the book title came about before i realized it could be a business name right and um i realized that so i, I don't write about the moon Wars. i think there's enough on that that i had nothing to contribute to <laughs> like really i'm like i got nothing more to say about that but right so emancipation happened in the british empire like 30 years before it happened in the in the united states so around 17 i mean 1835 1832 you see the you see the emancipation of um the enslaved in england and at that point jamaica is like we need labor right because people are leaving plantations <laughs> they're like we're done thank you it's been real so they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to conscript black labor and no one's off the table so although there's this treaty with jamaica's maroon communities the legislature's like yeah let's uh, let's just abolish the treaty we'll just do we'll just pass a law and we'll abolish the treaty
0: i've <laughs> never seen anything like that
1: i can't <laughs> imagine like what We'd repealing that crazy idea.
0: laws repealing rights Ooh. of
1: people yeah well i know so fresh like, so they just passed this law and what is fascinating is, I mean, it's not surprising, but what's fascinating is like the maroons are like, uh, no, <laughs> we're not doing this, right? And they were going to do it. Like, each of you could have like a, two acres of land and they have this whole scheme that they're going to do. And they're like, you
0: yeah. know, they
1: literally stay, stay in the same place in the exact same way that they had for 100 years before that. And every single interaction you see I don't think that's overstated. Every single interaction you see between the Jamaican government and the Maroons for the rest of the 19th century is a contest between the Maroons trying to make the treaty the way that they understood it. They thought they were going to be getting 15,000 acres of land, not 1,500 acres, right? Mm. And on the one hand, you have one party who is like, Oh no! We want no, no, no! Not, not only are you not gonna get rid of the treaty that easily. We want what you really promised us. And on the other hand, you have a Jamaican government who's trying to pull land from them so that they will join the join the labor force. Neither side is game for war, but you see how resistance is used by the maroon population to actually expand their land holdings. And they're they, they're modestly successful in doing it, but they do expand their, man, their land holdings in the 19th century. And what was clear, clear to me is that they had a vision, right? 15,000 acres. Mm-hmm. And their resistance very much served that vision.
0: So they really held... So I'm hearing in this that there is a there is an energetic aspect of the resistance that was going on for the Maroons and that they had a vision. They had a clear sense of like, what was the goalpost? What was the thing that they Mm -hmm. knew they wanted? Mm -hmm. And regardless of the shenanigans and the gaslighting that was going on with a Mm -hmm. government that was probably trying to pull imminent domain, Mm -hmm. that the Maroons held the vision and so yes. it's really, which is really magical. I mean, this is like law of attraction stuff where it's like it you are holding the vision of what matters. Exactly. Right. So and I'm, I think I'm really it, hearing the aspect of within this vision, within like the fact that you are not just talking about resistance coaching, you're talking no, about talking resistant about vision.
1: vision. I'm talking about vision and every, all of your actions. To create a vision of a society that we really want, the the actions will be resistant because you're resisting. You know, it's not the it's not the noise that's laid out for us, but it's serving mm-hmm. a vision, right? I get very frustrated with the abortion debates because it's gotten it's it's small. It's it's yeah. small, right? So don't don't listen to this and think she doesn't like back abortion. That's not what I'm saying. I'm mm-hmm. saying abortion is one of many components of reproductive autonomy. I'm interested yes. in reproductive autonomy. Yes. That's what I'm interested in, right? Yes. I'm interested in how women get to decide with whom and when they get to have children, right? And that has implications, right? For many BIPOC women, they're actually, they're like, they're like what the state will do is force them not to have children because they're mm-hmm. not cute white babies, right? Mm-hmm. Like Amy, uh, the Supreme Court Justice, I don't even like her name. Conan <laughs> Bryant yeah whatever yeah that, that's not quite it but like whatever her name is something like that amy <laughs> amy right i mean she's upset because there are not enough white children to adopt right and if oh. you look at it what you yeah, I, I know poor thing too bad um, so
0: sad <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but like but coney, that's coney bryant i think it is uh, yeah that's something yeah. like that something um, like that um, yeah obviously her. we are so impressed by this woman we <laughs> that know that don't name. even
1: remember her name <laughs> right exactly i know it's amy perfect
0: um, amy something but, yeah
1: but the but but you see, right, that has real implications for um BIPOC women and reproductive autonomy, right? On the one hand, you have a state that's telling us we don't want your children, and on the other hand, we compel you to have children, right? This is you cannot focus only on abortion to actually make sense of that, that makes sense of that. So that the debate, and I understand why it gets framed that way, but the debate can't be framed in such a small way because it loses the vision. The vision really is about women having full lives. We don't want to talk about that. I don't really right. understand why, but that's actually, that's, that's what's at stake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's actually what's at stake. And and so everything we do should be supporting a vision of women living their full lives as full human beings. That's, that's resistant vision.
0: That's resistant vision. Well, and You know, going into sort of tying this back into the whole empath component, Mm -hmm. you know, so many empaths are feeling the impact of all of the ways that the systemic choices we've been making for a couple hundred years, at the very least now, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and really for thousands of years. But in terms of like the industrial age and the impact of our choices, like I believe that Empire and patriarchy had profound impact on us, but did not necessarily have the cataclysmic impact that it is having now. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. because we just didn't have the technology to do the harm that we're doing these days. And as empaths, I think that so many of us can feel the rumble under our feet and can feel sort of the sense of there is something wrong with what is going on. But as we all know, or as I imagine most of us who are listening to this are aware of the fundamental laws of attraction are, you know, where you focus your attention is what grows. And the thing about so much of the, I don't know, like the, the, the liberal agenda is sadly focused on what we do not want, as opposed to what we want. And I think that you know, the beauty of resistant vision is that it is about what we want and not what we don't want.
1: Exactly. I mean, it was a very subtle reframing. I like to talk about abortion. It's a very, very subtle reframing, very subtle reframing. But it isn't on don't take a don't take away my rights. It is about treat me as a full autonomous being.
0: Right, right. And look at the whole the holistic component of it, because I mean, you know, you're I mean, this is I mean, this is a can of worms that we could go and and like a rabbit hole, we could go down because there are so many different aspects of it. And just like the incredible irony of it is like, you know, you're not allowed to terminate a pregnancy, but God forbid we give you food stamps or any kind of resources exactly. or anything to look at exactly. i mean it's like it's sort of like as soon as the fetus is out of your body they cease to have anything like there's no there's no support but we need to put as much attention and energy in that as we do yes. in health and that
1: and healthcare as we do abortion
0: right and, and the the right to choose exactly right. because exactly. and the right the thing is and what I'm really, I, I really think this is an important thing. The right to choose is as much about the right to choose to carry a pregnancy to term as it is to decide not to carry a pregnancy. To exactly. Term. exactly. And having the resources to choose how are you going to live your life? Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. So, as a highly sensitive empathic person, and I know, you know, knowing you to the to the extent that I know you, I know that you know, like climate change is one of the things that really concerns you, and that you you know that you are very aware of, as well as you know just a lot of other sort of systemic things that are kind of like really you're gonna do that. So I'd love to talk about what it means to be an um, you know the experience of an empath like well and. I'm just thinking there's another thing, which is, um, you know, uh, how did you like, what was it? When did you know, like, what was it that made you go, oh, I'm an empath. But let's hold off on that question and talk about instead what it's like or was like to be experiencing like you've got this, you know, you're you're you've got a Ph.D. Your specialty is in resistance is in in the Maroon population and examining indigenous and you know an enslaved actually would you say indigenous within the maroon population is well a- actually what's interesting
1: true story about jerk pork <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. jerk pork pirates and maroons we're going to combine it all together right one of uh one of jamaica's greatest uh, culinary contributions to the world is jerk seasoning yeah and it's created in a time where you don't have refrigeration right so what would happen is that there's a place called boston Jamaica you know less mm-hmm. less you doubt the british were there um, and at 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 this port in boston pirates would pull up and the, so when the enslaved ran up into jamaica's mountainous areas in this case it was the blue mountains there were indigenous people there it wasn't like empty right so you have these communities merging together and the the, the african folk actually understood the topography and understood what the greenery offered, right? They probably had some understanding. They they probably had some understanding of allspice. It's very Jamaican, right? But they they probably had some working understanding of many of the spices that were there. Anyhow, they would, they like between the indigenous and African populations, they would kill wild boars and then they would actually, and they have this whole, if you go to Boston, you can still see it done, right? They have a whole grill. They call it a pata, P-A-T-T-A, that they grill the the meats on that's coated by this by allspice and black pepper and other things I, that i don't know all of them this is what jerk pork's what jerk pork was these communities would sell it to pirates who came into port and they could have that pork forever because it was dried out in a way that they could use it it tasted far better than jerky of course,
0: <laughs> right? of course. well and but, isn't it interesting that jerky is called jerky but I also have a more benign idea about why the Maroons are called Maroons. If what they were feeding everybody was wild boar and they became known for selling wild boar to all kinds of other populations, I don't know, like that to me is like, oh, well then maybe because, you know, like like, just sort of like they conflated the product with the people. That's possible,
1: I you know. It would, it would it'd be an interesting, Adam,
0: etymology i find etymology yeah i mean i find etymology of words and particularly food words so Mm -hmm. fascinating Mm -hmm. yeah like hoppin john you know yes yeah yeah
1: Yeah. that has my understanding is
0: starts from pois pigeon which is pigeon peas yeah 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 anyway but yeah that's how i I, don't like here um (laughs) but that's what, what did you ask me we were talking about like the impact of of being sensitive and. Before really grabbing or understanding the full magnitude of what resistant vision is, mm-hmm. what it feels like and felt like as an empath to be sort of aware of all of the systemic breakdown and the things gotcha, that are I gotcha, going gotcha. wrong. Yeah.
1: I think there was another question too, but I, I whatever. The other that, question,
0: the other question was one I'm, I'm sort of, I've got a pin in, which has to do with when did you realize you were an empath? I it, but, okay. I don't know I how I, I don't remember with. how
1: I got to jerk meets, but here we are. The, the, I have, you know. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I was following you. It made total sense <laughs> to me.
1: <laughs> but now uh, you know, but I actually,
0: I suspect. Oh, I know how we got there. I used the question or actually I raised, I used the word indigenous as well oh, okay, as enslaved. Right, 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 right. okay yeah, yeah. And so I, yes and talking about yeah and so then you were talking about sort of the this integration is, it, about, or the, in, the cross-pollination of right. enslaved exactly. and indigenous yes okay. yes okay that's Wait, how we I got there like, okay okay people are like yes people we, you, the audience is like you guys we were following you we know where you were coming from they Thanks was for coming back. <laughs> yeah
1: i suspect that i was always empathic right the weepy mm-hmm. kid, the really hardcore pull to do social justice work as a lawyer, and then like of all the of all the topics that one could look at historically. I mean, granted, there's a family line, but this is this is like kind of next level, <laughs>
0: right? Um, well, and it it is really, I mean, talk about niched. Like it is an yeah. incredibly niched, like you know, doctoral exactly. Uh, topic. Yeah. Exactly.
1: I don't step into. I think it's. It's not until I'm owning a business and actually being in circles with people who talked about empathic that I, I didn't embrace it immediately. I don't. I I don't know why, but it becomes. I no, know, I knew
0: you at a point. At a point where you were kind of like y'all are this, but I'm not so sure that I'm that. And right, I was like sure, Michelle. Have it your way,
1: Have it your way. Yeah. Um. Sure. But I, th- I do think people actually. This is what it was people started referring to me as being really intuitive and I'm like mm-hmm. what <laughs> right yeah the, the left brain went like uh, uh? <laughs> I don't think so I don't think so but as that started happening I started to have I would get pangs of premonition mm-hmm. I don't remember what all of them were I mean one of them was I was dreaming. I was dreaming, and I I was in a choir, and th- there was a new condu- there was a conductor that was there for a year, and then I had a dream that that conductor was saying, "I'm le- I have to I'm leaving." The old conductor's coming back, and that morning, that's exactly what happened. I'm like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> right? I'm like, all right. I, so like at that point when I'm starting to get pings pangs of like what happened in the future, I'm like. There must be something to this, <laughs> right? Because I couldn't have, I couldn't have made that up if I yeah. tried. I, I, yeah. I, I just couldn't. Like, if if I wanted to do data collection, that there's your data, right? There's your data, um, okay. and that's when I had to start to kind of say, "Oh, okay, well, clearly I have a superpower." I mean, and 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 it's it's intuitive, but I think empathics are many empathics are intuitive, right?
0: Um, the, yes, I. And my personal explanation of this is that intuition is that that calm knowing of something where we just you know we know something but we know about it as something outside of ourselves whereas the you know when we are and and in my experience you know the paranormal or you know extrasensory perception whether it's you know psychic intuitive empath medium even channel All of these are people who have a capacity or beings that have a capacity to be open to receiving more than the ordinary eye can see, the ordinary ear can hear, that we are receptive to picking up a lot more information. My distinction and what I've really come to see is that the difference between empath and other aspects of this or empathic but empathic is more like the idea. Empathic is more like, I mean, empathic is funny because I see it as having almost like, it's like there and there it Mm -hmm. has two meanings. You've got empathic in the sense of the people have a capacity for empathy. And then you've got empathic in the sense of a definition of people who are empaths. So I'm going to just say for right now, empathic in the sense of people who are empaths. What I've noticed is that when somebody is in their empathic feels What happens is they filter all the information through their own lens, through their own experience. And so if an empath walks in, if a psychic or an intuitive walks into a room where there's been sort of a, a, you know, a conflict or something, they may walk in and be like, why do I feel so angry and sad? Or or No, I mean, sorry. Why? Oh my, no, sorry. It's the the psychic walks into the room and goes, wow, there's so much sadness and anger in this room. I can really feel it the empath goes walks into the room and goes oh my god i just been you know i'm suddenly feeling so incredibly sad and angry why do i feel so sad and angry and that that's sort of at least from my perspective that's the distinction however most empaths in my experience also have in, you know intuition and intuitive and psychic abilities but the empath quality of being flooded by it and picking it and feeling it and you know is is often will sort of override that discernment because it is such a deeply felt experience.
1: And I have a funny feeling that once I started to be able, once I could actually tell that I had an intuitive sense, I could actually lean into, oh, and I'm feeling other people's feels.
0: Right. Well, and, you know, you and I have had a couple times where we've gotten together and you've been like, I'm feeling this, this and this. And we start doing some work around it and kind of like, you know, tapping it out. And all of a sudden (laughs) it's like and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this isn't even mine. This isn't even mine. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and when you're going through really hard things in life, like you have to get really, really clear about, oh, this isn't mine. Okay, that that's over there. Okay, very good.
0: Thank you. Right, right, right. I mean, we've got enough to deal with, with our exactly. own stuff, without basically trying to do the emotional heavy lifting and processing for absolutely exactly. everybody else. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think part of it is that my, you know, I was always a news junkie. I mean, it's like really until probably a good, probably until Trump, I was a, good, I was a news junkie, right? I, Mm -hmm. you know, election night, I'd be up, I'd be watching all the, you know, returns. And I think that really interfered with my ability to actually connect with this part of myself. Oh, it keeps you in fight or flight all the time, right? And if you are busy going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, the world's falling apart. Oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, you can't, you're not getting any messages.
0: right. 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 You're distracted by, yeah, you're just watching the dumpster fire and. and, Exactly. Exactly.
1: And I think part of it is, I mean, part of why I can latch into the fear so well is actually that I'm an empath, but I don't Mm -hmm. have enough space to navigate that.
0: Right. Right. Well, and. I mean, culture, it's so interesting just thinking about the phenomenon of I really do believe that because the emotional intensity on the planet has been heating up and just the sense of peril and the existential threat to humanity has been heating, you know, has literally been heating up. Mm-hmm that there are so many people who may have been able to compartmentalize or when things were less stressful, it was like a rain barrel effect. They were not overwhelmed by their empathic nature to the extent that they are now. Mm -hmm. But keeping people afraid, keeping people engaged in the fear, keeping people hooked into this mass epidemic of fear Mm -hmm. is one of the most effective ways to keep people basically barefoot and pregnant and disempowered.
1: Actually, and it's interesting, I was thinking like that has real input, like, I mean, because I'm serving lawyers, right? And that like, if you're keeping lawyers completely terrified about billables, if you're keeping them terrified about your boss hates you, your clients hate you, oh, if you don't do the this and the that, right? It keeps you from really tapping into all different versions of your intelligence and your knowledge and your, all of your different versions of knowing, right? That has real implications. For... Well, and you
0: were saying before we got on about lack of sleep, a sixth grader is going to perform at a fourth grader capacity with mm-hmm. lack of sleep. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. And that's, and you'll get the same, you'll have the same horrible res- like, results, no matter what you're doing. Right? Right. Right. I mean, it's terrific it's it's to think we have doctors trying to do work on us who've gotten no sleep.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, this is just a whole other conversation. But it's like the insanity of what we put medical doctors and especially like surgeons, you know, the most like the people who have the most power in terms of human life of anybody. And they're working these insane residency hours where they are getting no sleep at all. And then Within lawyer population and I think medical population, a lot of these professional populations, it's work, 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 work. And then alcohol or other kinds or benzos or something becomes a means for chilling out. And I mean, having known a fair number of having conversations with a fair number of lawyers, I know that, you know, like for, you know, like benzo addiction and alcoholism is is it's a thing. It's a real thing. It's an absolute yeah.
1: thing, right? I mean, I, I think 26% of lawyers admit to having
0: an alcohol problem. 26% admit. 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 Right? Admit. Admit. One but quarter. I, which I actually, a quarter of the population I have to of lawyers say it, admit I'm, to having I'm, an alcohol problem. I'm stunned that that many admit. Right? That's pretty spectacular. Right. Like, it's, it's 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 because Denial is not a river in Egypt.
1: Is showing, um, but that's a whole other show. Um yeah. <laughs> right, but um yeah, no, it's so it's like it's a it's it's profound, right? And it really impacts again, it impacts our full ability for full knowing. And, and it and doesn't and it doesn't actually shift the other thing about this is that I mean it doesn't I think we forget that we're all operating in real Oppressive systems, right? And so, if the purpose of a legal system is to make sure that the only class, right, the people who own who own the ability to extract from the earth, if if the purpose of the legal system is to continue to support them in doing that, right, the very core of what is the cause of the climate emergency, they are going to do everything in their power to keep lawyers working to keep their ability to do that, right? And so. Your lack of sleep, your endless hours, your inability to build community, to connect with the communities from which you came are all profoundly impacted because you're busy making sure that Elon Musk can continue to extract whatever it is he needs to extract from the Congo to make your Tesla. Is that what you want, <laughs> right? Is that, is that where we're headed?
0: Is that what we really want? Well, and so many people go into advocacy work, whether it is, you know, law or other forms of political action, because they see they, they have like, I really believe that that as a population, I mean, certainly there are people who go into corporate law and other things where their agenda is for, like they want to make money. But God God I personally him, you know, believe <laughs> right. I personally believe that there is a substantial portion of people who go into law and other kinds of advocacy because they want to make a difference in the world and they see the systemic problem they have an over they do have a resistant vision. They have a sense of things could be better. And it's kind of like I don't know, it's almost like we're in this maze where we've got a couple doors with signs over them that say exit but they're contained this, the, you know, the exits are contained within a system that is basically a closed system designed to keep us all engaged in mm-hmm. productivity, engaged mm-hmm. in capitalism, engaged mm-hmm. in reinforcing empire. Mm-hmm. And this idea that, you know, ownership is more important than community, that ownership, that protecting resources for the the um, owning class. Mm-hmm. Is more important than any of these other things, but it's and so it's just fascinating thinking about. You've got these this whole population of people who I really believe go into this field because they want to be part of the the solution and they want to make a difference, and then but then they become indoctrinated into a system that keeps them on the hamster wheel, exhausted and scared and stressed out and constantly worrying about like their billables and all of that other stuff exactly 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 (laughs) and so here we have and somehow you came to the place where you were like there's a better way
1: yeah um i have um
0: it's been (laughs) i mean isn't that what resistant vision is all about it is
1: is. and i think as a resistant vision continues to develop you know i created it i created the company and i had to let it sit (laughs) <laughs> and marinate mm-hmm. for a little bit right mm-hmm. um and you know never one to not be studying and learning more um you know i at some at some point for me all roads lead through Rachel rogers we should all be billionaires but um one of her good friends is susan hyatt who wrote a book named called bear and b-e-a-r, want,
0: B-E-A-R or b-a-r-e, B-A-R-E
1: and uh-huh. on some level, one could just call it a weight loss book. I think it actually is a lot more than that. And she talks about, she's one of the first people I've really, so me not the first, but the first I've read, who really talks about the role of pleasure. You know, that it's easier to do things if you are connected with the pleasure that you have in your life. It's easier to lose weight, right? Because women will eat because it's pleasurable. Yes. And it's the easy. it's the easy pleasure fix that you can get. Right? It so is. You can't tell when you're hungry, <laughs> right? You're just kind of like, that was a horrible day. <sighs> All the French fries are amazing, right? Right, like that's right. that's right. that's what we do. I don't, I don't, I don't mean to make light of it, right? Like things no. are that hard. Things are yeah. actually that hard. That that's the easy, cheap fix that we have.
0: Well, and it's one of the few fixes exactly. that we have. It's exactly. That is, yeah, especially. If you are, especially for a lot of women, where maybe they don't have the alcoholism gene, where where if they start drinking, they're gonna, it's gonna send them over the edge. Because I mean, certainly we also have the whole phenomenon of like you know wine culture, exactly, or exactly. for mothers and everything. But I think the thing is, food, while it is profoundly impactful. In many, many ways, it's not intoxicating in the same way that a lot of other things are. So you can eat those French fries and you can still get your kid to bed on time. Exactly. You can still get up in the morning and do your job. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And, you know, knock yourself out of French fries or your thing. But here's the thing. How do we actually develop? I mean, I think this is what's this part of what's really core about the whole Abortion, I put, I did air quotes. Debate is that it really is also a discussion about female pleasure, right? Mm, because mm, women, mm. women are pregnant because of I don't know pleasure, pleasure, right? pleasure.
0: Hopefully. 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 It's not it's yeah. not
1: always that way, right? But like right, but the, but this is but this is where the fart rights brain is, right? Y'all y'all engage in pleasure, you should be engaging it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is evidence of your sinful behavior, exactly. you know, exactly. of your wantum your wanton flesh. <laughs> <I> see, right. <laughs> yeah um so but here's the thing, and
1: sex I, I'm here for sex for pleasure. I'm not like I'm not like I'm I'm here for that. Food is lovely, right? But here's the thing, we've gotta develop I think what ends up happening in patriarchal societies is that we get deprived of multiple forms of pleasure, right? This is where like, when we're separated from the earth, this is a problem. Like you can't see, but I'm surrounded by plants. Like, and this has become a thing of mine since my mom died. Right. But if I, when I'm working in this space, which is not often lately for other reasons, I'm not going to go into, right. Like there I'm connected to what's green. I'm connected to the earth and it is, mm-hmm. it is like, they're beautiful, right? Yes. Like, they're, they're beautiful. It's another form. Of pleasure, right? Like when we turn exercise into a thing to do to get skinny, we actually can't tell what's pleasurable about it. I mean, are we doing the thing of, of exercise that's actually bringing us pleasure that we actually enjoy it? I like going for a vigorous walk outside to Central Park. I love feeling the crisp air in my lungs. It's stunning to watch the greenscape change over time, right? It's pleasure. It's absolute pleasure, right? There are all of these ways, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm just touching, I'm just scratching the surface, right? There are so many ways, you know. Like I, the other day, my sister and I were on a conversation. What an amazing conversation, right? This brought me pleasure. A good book brings me pleasure, right? And when we are dissociated, both from our bodies, but from what also brings us pleasure, we're not in a position where we can actually do what needs to be done. Right,
0: right. Well, and something that I've been really thinking a lot about since um, the book started to come the new the next book that's coming started to come through me this summer, or last, you know, July of 2022. Was that empaths have you know we focus as empaths so much on our picking up on the distress picking up on the agony the misery all of the problems that are going on in the world and i sincerely believe that part of the reason why empaths are doing that is because we are supposed to be the canaries in the coal mine that are like saying y'all there is a gas leak here and we need to do something about it before we blow ourselves to smithereens as a species but We also have the capacity to pick up on and also to broadcast delight, pleasure, joy, wonder. And at the same time, at any given point in time, at the same time that there are all of these things that are going on on the planet Mm -hmm. that is absolutely miserable. There are also people who are having sex with their beloved for the very first time and looking in the eyes of the person like where they're like, I found you. There are people who are holding their baby in their arms for the very first time, like Mm -hmm. madly, like gratefully, like, oh, my God, here you are. There are people who have just completed a project that they've been working on forever. There are people who are in their bodies dancing and moving. There are people who just won gold medals and things. Mm -hmm. There are people who are cooking the best meal possible and tasting something and going, oh, my God, how did I come up with this? There are people who are standing on mountaintops and looking across these vistas and just gobsmackingly amazed at the exquisite beauty that they are surrounded by. I mean, I'm just using some examples, but like there are a million different ways to describe this. And as empaths, we are, you know, the conditioning for so many of us has been to focus on the problem instead of focus on the solution. Right, right. And What I'm really hearing and you and I've been talking about what is resistant vision for quite a while, but what Mm -hmm. I'm really hearing uh, the nugget I'm taking out of this conversation is that resistant vision is about focusing, turning our focus, focus, acknowledging the problem, but turning our focus to the pleasure, to the joy and to the vision of what could be possible and what is possible as opposed to continuingly continuing to look at the problem and engage with it in a way that just keeps us exhausted, tired, eating French fries and, you know, drinking a box of wine.
1: And frankly, if we're, we're not going to fix the climate emergency, if we can't embrace pleasure, if we can't empl- embrace delight, if we can't, because part of it is that we have sped everything up so much, right? Everything is so fast. Now.
0: Well, and if and we to, are and dis-
1: to stop the climate emergency, we actually have to slow, slow the fuck down.
0: We have to slow down. We also have to be in our bodies because yes. if we look at our bodies as a cell in the body of this earth, if we recognize mm-hmm. that we are we are a part of the earth, and that each one of us is an individual expression of the earth, if we are not allowed to feel our bodies and especially to engage with our bodies like we're from a place of joy, from a place of delight, and a place of pleasure it makes complete sense that we are not going to be able to engage with the greater, but the greater body, which is the earth, in a way that means that we care about the earth that we that and and also that we feel our interconnection to the earth, and the impact of the choices we're making. Mm -hmm. So I'm just really seeing how Our denial of pleasure is directly connected in the sense of it's also about if we deny pleasure in our own body, then, of course, we're going to be dissociative from what's going on with the with the body of the earth. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I was thinking about um, what was that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer, I can't think of her last name, and Meryl Streep. Oh, gosh. Give me a little bit more. What was the plot? Um, about? It was about the climb it, it was about an asteroid coming to hit the earth and everyone was denying it. Don't look up. That's oh, what it was don't look up. Don't yeah. Look with up. Jonah Hill.
0: And right. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. What a brutal movie.
1: Br- brutal, but brilliant. Right. I mean, yeah. I love I mean, not that it stopped anything, but, you know, one of the you know, as you see this asteroid getting really close, like one of some of the footage is like you got to see people making love to each other. Like, mm-hmm. what you going to mm-hmm. do? Like. You know, or people having really wonderful meals with the people wonderful they love and Wonderful meals care about, together, right? yes. Like that's... That's what matters. That's that's what actually matters. Yeah. That's what really, really matters. Um, if we're not forced to figure out how to chase the next piece of coin so we can actually take care of ourselves, like that's that's what's possible.
0: Right, right. Well, in the building of communities and the interconnection with each other, um, it's it's like, it is what is going to lead us through whatever it is that our species is is going to be going through and is going through. it's like it's that interconnection. It's these kinds of rich, delicious conversations that make the difference.:
1: exactly, exactly it, it, that's 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 our way out. and yeah. it's not no. I didn't you know, yeah, we shall overcome, but damn it. I'm a chat with Joe on the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, that's, that's, you know, I mean, in a way that's part of what made the civil, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, that's part of what made the civil rights movement so rich that people built profound, close relationships with each other. Right. And it's fascinating that the powers that be will point to Martin Luther King is, you know, more moral, immoral, right. Because he had affairs, yeah, he was a right. womanizer. Yeah. Right. He was a womanizer. And I mean, isn't pleasure like, isn't that but that's what black people, that's what black men, black women were deprived of, right? That's that was all institutional slavery that we couldn't have pleasure. And we got targeted and lambasted because God forbid we actually engaged in pleasure. Look at that disability, look at that, hour, right? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like mm-hmm. right, like that's that was the basis of enslaving us because we don't know how to control our natural urges right well, and women
0: in general don't know how to control women don't right but like but,
1: but like i mean and black men get targeted in a particular right. way too right oh absolutely like, you know so like we, i it's i'm not that i'm here for, i'm not i'm not like don't walk away saying she's pro womanizing i didn't say
0: that <laughs> right? right but um i didn't hear that but what i hear you but, saying is that there is a way in which the lens through which he was regarded, um, in maybe like amplified that aspect of him, but also demonizing the s- pursuit of pleasure. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. But and that but but pleasure was definitely part of the civil rights movement. Mm. It had to be. Mm-hmm. It had to be. Otherwise, who? Why? <laughs> I mean, we know why. I mean, there there is a why, but like. We don't need, you know, we're not a people who need more toil in their lives. <laughs> <Right? No. laughs> like that's, just, that's not what we need. Yeah. The way out is, I think f- I do, I feel very strongly that the way out is with pleasure and we have so to, re- we have to reconnect with that in many, many different ways. In
0: many, many different ways. So let's talk about, you know, what does that look like on a really, really like, how do I reclaim my pleasure? You know, like I'm just, just starting, way, to, I'm just starting to, start. to
1: scratch the tip of the iceberg. But you know what? Sleep, we don't sleep. none like you know, part of keeping us going all the time is that we don't sleep. Sleep feels damn good when you when it works well, it's like real it's a it's an amazing thing, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, it's that simple. Like sleep. 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 You know, I you know, if running 20 miles a day is your thing, if that brings you, if that actually brings you pleasure. I want to back up. I think what I'm suggesting is that I think we actually need to slow down and notice what it is we really want and what we really crave. Because
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if we because don't slow we're down... we're being told we want and great.
1: Exactly, right? I mean, that's the whole purpose of advertising. You want this? Don't you want this? Hello? You want... that? that, that. I need a moment. I need a moment to really sit down and think about what it is that really lights my fire. Right? Mm-hmm. And... You know, after my mom's passing, I, like I noticed that I go by nurseries or plant stores, and my attention's pulled. Right? I don't, I don't indulge it every time, but like that's—it's important for me to notice that, right? But that's a source of pleasure for me. And yes. but I have to, but you have to slow down enough to know, oh wow, I'm being pulled to that thing. I wonder why. Right? You know, there's a woman I've told you about her Kiminami who is very, yes. very into her her thing is everything leads everything goes through the vagina right that but there's something to that right you know what lights you up you will have a physical reaction to that in that very profound personal place right with you right you're not going to get wet if it doesn't light you up that's Mm -hmm. just the biology Mm -hmm. of a woman that's Mm -hmm. the way that works right and we have but you'd have to slow down to notice
0: right and You have to, and, and we have to go back. I mean, there's just so many aspects of how do we go back and retrieve the part of ourself that can even recognize we're feeling pleasure when we have been socialized to ignore, to deny, to suppress, to push down, you know, I mean, it's interesting because I think culturally, Women of color are often regarded as the Jezebels and the and the brazen hussies. Mm-hmm. White women, I mean, there's definitely the Madonna whore thing within white women as well. But I think that often white women, on the other hand, are sort of like we're you know, the, the derogatory terms of she's a Karen and that a lot of times white women are sort of like programmed or regarded as frigid. Mm-hmm. And so it's and, and it's here we are again in the damned if you do, damned if you don't that it's a total insult to be to be brazen. And it's also a complete insult and an invalidation of your role as a female if you are this dried up, frigid exactly. woman. But the bottom line is both the messages consistently do not feel your, do not be embodied, do not feel your pleasure, do not experience joy and delight. I keep on thinking about I actually keep on thinking about this um, commercial that really was like, and this is where the interface between come between food and mm-hmm. pleasure and mm-hmm. sex shows <laughs> up. So back in probably the late 80s, early 90s, there was a series, there was a, a kind of diet food called snack wells i remember were, like, those yeah so there was this one commercial where there was like this like from here to eternity scene on a beach with a man and a woman and it was a white woman and a white man on a beach having sex and the man and woman were like rolling around in the sand which always makes me go oh my god i cannot I even imagine having I'm, sex like, a I'm like nah. i'm like <laughs> sand in my butt crack no thank you but um But give me give me a nice, soft, cozy bed anytime. Thank you for that. Yes, exactly. But um, anyway, in the commercial, there's a picnic blanket and a picnic basket and a box of snack wells about 10 or 15 feet, maybe 20 feet away from the couple. In the image or in the commercial, the woman is making out and rolling around on the sand and her astral body. They do a cut where they basically like do a special effect where the woman the woman sits up from her body so her body is still having sex, but her spirit, her intent, her attention sits up, looks over at the snack (laughs) well, walks, gets up, walks out of her body, goes over to the picnic table, picks up the box of snack wells, and eats the snacks, eats the cookies while watching her body have sex i have never ever seen anything that that demonstrates the connections between dissociation and sexuality for women but also eating disordered you know dissociation and eating and also the sort of the thing of like you're sanctioned or allowed to have this temporary guilty pleasure with food but of course then, you know, but this is diet food. So like, and that was the other message that's in It's like, well, because this is diet food, you're allowed to have this kind of pleasure. Dissociate for this. Not allowed, dissociate for this, but you're allowed to have this kind of pleasure because this is an acceptable pleasure because it's low calorie and it's special diet food versus having sex. This commercial to me was like, The first time I saw it, because I was already doing a lot of work around eating disorders and body image and feminism and stuff, I was just like, "Oh no, you didn't!"
1: I did. I went there. It
0: (laughs) it was amazing. But the thing was, it was so on point that I'm sure it worked as a commercial because it was it was doing exactly what we've been conditioned to do. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And I think it just, and, and it, it does, I mean, it's interesting that all, ha- all of this happens in a minute, in a minute, right? Like that's how long commercials are. One minute, 30 seconds. One right? minute. They, they, 30, that's all, yep. that's all they need to hit it's all the alarm bells. Exactly. And we actually, I mean, I love Glennon Doyle, you know, Glennon Doyle's untamed because, you know, she talks about going in the closet and like, like blocking out all of her, you know like no no light sense not like none of it and just actually sitting down and like really listening to what her gut has to say but it's gonna take that level of slowing down for us to really connect with what our bodies are saying about things like yesterday we did that amazing eft session i'm like look at that my son of plexus is something to say like for the first time ever right you know what i mean like it did, but it does really take slowing down we're it takes slowing down. It's going to take healing a shit ton of stuff, right? Because we've been—it's—it's it's a hurt that we're that disconnected from our bodies and from what we want. It's—it is a hurt. Um, we're going to have to heal those hurts, and it, we're—it's going to have to be slow, easy. Yes. Easy does it. Easy does well, it's it. It's like
0: regrowing. It's like—it's almost like we as a species have this profound nerve damage where all of we are paralyzed and disconnected from our body like we are because i really believe we are interconnected that you and i are part of the same body like you're you know you're one cell i'm another cell but we are all part of the same body we're all interconnected but we have had so much nerve damage that we do not feel our connections to each other we do not feel our connections to the earth we don't and then we don't feel our connections to ourselves and meanwhile we are being given all of these messages of like go, 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 10x your business every single month, you know, like, buy this course, do this thing, get this new phone, get this new piece of clothing, get these Louboutin Mm -hmm. shoes, all of these ways that we are in get, you know, we are encouraged to just keep pushing to the brink. And, I mean, it's like, I don't know, it strikes me that in some ways, the entity or the mechanism that is thriving on it's like almost like cancer in the sense that there is something that is living off of and thriving on this incredibly hectic pace that we are functioning at but it is not what is sustainable for us as a species it is not what is sustainable for the planet exactly it's just not sustainable it's not sustainable it absolutely isn't
1: sustainable and we can't do what we need for the planet in that energy and in that spirit it's just it's not doable
0: not doable we actually i mean
1: that's what that's what it means to decolonize like we can't to like oh we'll just move at a pace faster than the destructive forces no Mm -hmm. (laughs) no we actually have to slow down well and that's kind of the
0: irony in some ways it's sort of like in order to in order to repair this We cannot continue to rate like we cannot rush into it or race into it or speed up like try to over like to you know like to to outrun the disaster. We actually have to downshift and like like we need to we need to stop hurtling ourselves through space. Right, and and, we actually we actually have to sit
1: in the disaster too. Right. Right, like I mean that like we can't we can't run from it away or we can't run from it to get before it, right? I think there are parts of it's like, if we could just go back to, no, we're not going back to that,
0: right? We're not going back to that. Don't
1: fill in the blank, whatever it is, we're not going back to it, right? We actually have to sit with it. And that might seem very contrary to pleasure, right? But pleasure, pleasure is the vehicle that helps us sit with what is now.
0: Well, and also the relationship between sitting with the authenticity, you know, we cannot feel pleasure if we cannot feel grief. We right. cannot feel pleasure if we cannot feel despair. Exactly. We cannot feel pleasure if we cannot acknowledge the places where we feel fear and anxiousness. Exactly.
1: Duality. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's about duality, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't get one without the other. You
0: don't get one without it. Well, and actually, this, and this is it,
1: actually this is the challenge of white supremacy, right? Because white supremacy says white people get to feel all the pleasure and all y'all get to feel all the horrible stuff for us. And like that's not how that works.
0: <laughs> it is not how it works. Right? It's not how it works, right? Well, like and who who among the white people even are actually feeling pleasure when like like when you understand that you are part of something greater than yourself and you are interconnected. I I do not believe that like Jeffrey Epstein and all of the people who were doing the horrible things that they were doing and uh, and violating these girls that these men were actually experiencing pleasure. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that that's really pleasure. Those were power trips. Those are like power, power trips are, are not power about. power trips I, it's and it's trauma. Pleasure.
1: Right, exactly. It's not
0: about pleasure. Exactly. You know, and so then even, so from that standpoint, the other thing is like, even like the white, I mean, and I, oh God, this is a whole other thing about, that I just really believe is that the European annihilation that happened with the burning times and that happened with our indigenous traditions getting destroyed, created such a rift of trauma within our own bodies that we have been kicking the can of trauma down the road now for hundreds, if not thousands, you know, for over a thousand years where we are, where, where we, and now it's like, we're so dissociated. We're so disconnected. That we've got these people who are expressing the trauma in the form of power over by having sex with 14-year-old girls and thinking that that's pleasure. I mean, no, that is not pleasure.
1: No, it's a hurt that you're acting out over and over and over, over and over and, over
0: and over again. Yeah, because I I don't know about and, you. And I, actually to
1: get to the pleasure The amount of pain, my suspicion is that the amount of pain that someone like a Jeffrey Epstein would have to face, he was completely unwilling to do.
0: Completely unwilling, incapable, probably.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. Right? Like when you're willing to take that stand and to to go there, right? That's a whole lot of pain. A lot of pain. That you're not, that you're not, that you're not willing to do. And that i'm willing to dance with i mean i think i mean that's part of the challenge of a political system right like oh no 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 we're going to try to keep it so that we don't have to feel the pain it's like no no you don't get to that's that's a get out of jail free card that you actually don't get we're human beings we don't get to do that
0: well and knowing how to i mean we have so much fear of sitting with pain that it makes sense that we would also have fear of sitting with pleasure Yeah, because makes so much
1: sense. yes
0: You know, because we don't know how to sit with pain. We don't we as a species and and what I believe is that as the empaths, it's sort of like so much of the emotional intelligence, so much of the visceral, physical expression and sensory awareness that as human beings we have, we've been compartmentalizing and denying that it's almost like there's this subset of pop of our population that is Feeling it for the rest of us. And, you know, but it's like we as a species need to learn how to sit with what we feel, with sitting with the intensity. If we're going to, and, and so it really, I mean, it's just such a fascinating dance of like, you can't have pleasure with, well, I mean, to quote the divinals and the 80s song, there's a fine line between pleasure and pain. There is. And I think there really is. And it's like, if we cannot allow ourselves to sit with the fullness of our human experience, it makes it really difficult. It's a bit hard to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Michelle, I can't believe how fast this con- this time has gone. I mean, you sure. and I could talk forever and ever and ever. We often do. Um, so before, you know, I've got two questions for, actually, I've got three questions for you. But the okay. first question I've got for you is if there's anything else that like you'd be kicking yourself if you did not say this before we are done with this conversation, what would it be?
1: I think I'll just summarize that as I've let resistant vision go ahead and simmer. It's that what's really really clear to me is that only trying to, to trying to do things the way that ever, trying to resolve problems the way that the problems are created is actually doing us damage going to get us to the annihilation of life mm-hmm. on earth even more quickly, right? And it's time to slow down. It's time to connect deeply with ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our souls and to Actually, have the courage to feel the entirety of the human experience. Yes, like unenhanced with alcohol, unenhanced with other drugs, unenhanced with sugar. Right, like to really sit with it. I'm not saying I've done this perfectly, but I. But that's but that's what's required of us at this moment.
0: Well, and I think we're having to learn how to sit with it because, you know, we're all, you know, I mean, we've been breathing, we've been, you know, we're, we're the frogs in the boiling water we But we're also we've been breathing the po- the poisonous air and listening to the toxic messages are all, you know, we've all been, regardless of our, like, I mean, there are those of us who can sort of are the outliers who can feel that there's something better, that there's something different, mm-hmm. who have that glimmer, that spark of the resistant vision, who are feeling that call. But at the same time, We've all been colonized at the same time. We've been, we've been breathing the air. We've been breathing the oxygen. And as empaths, we not only hear it and see it, we feel the influence of it. We feel the sway of it. And I've been talking a lot lately in the Empathic Mastery Academy and uh, with, with people and you know, individually as well and everywhere, pretty much about the idea of as empaths, we also pick up on the desire body and the will body of other people of of not only other people but of of systems of mm-hmm. agendas mm-hmm. and that impacts us like as empaths it and and this is where coming back to what's mine what's not mine and as we were talking about we were talking earlier in this conversation about being able to really offload this is not my stuff this is not my problem this is not my you know not my monkey not my monkey not circus. my circus <laughs> oh god i can see them they were like a, a they were a comedy duo from you know my ollie that's a fine mess you've gotten us into yeah, I've of heard it, yeah, and, i know yeah yeah you know like we we are in quite a we are quite in quite a quandary right now but slowing down and going for going for Delo comey barrett <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> i know it just popped in my head I'm like, <laughs> thank oh, you yep, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah not coney island not coney island we wish that she was just an amusement ride. So the second question I've got for you, Michelle, is I always like to think of this, this, and this season I've been really playing with the idea of timelines and the fact that by broadcasting a podcast, we're sending the signal out into space and time. I believe that not only does it go forward into time, but it goes back into time, and that this this recording, this this you know this this data, this sound, this set of band bandwidth is like a piece of a fabric of time that's folding over on itself. And that there's a point in the past where this is touching to, where we can access the struggling, too shy, overwhelmed, terrified, young Michelle. And what I always love to do is imagine that we're going back there and you can look her in the eye. Maybe you want to put your hands on her chin. Like hold her face in your hands and look her straight in the eye and say to her exactly what she needs to hear. So what is the message that wise, resistant vision, Michelle, wants to offer young, hasn't found the resistant vision yet, Michelle?
1: This was rough. This is a rough ride. (laughs) Um, It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And. You will see the payoff of it in spades.
0: Can you Much give later. her a little bit of a seed of the resistant vision? What would you tell her so that she can start accessing it?
1: You know what's right.
0: You know what's right. Can I throw one in there? Yeah. You deserve to feel good.
1: Yes, you deserve. You to deserve feel pleasure. You it's
0: okay to do what feels good. Yeah.
1: And actually, you like you have people in your life who. They're not about pleasure. They really are about acting out the pain that they've had. You actually are profoundly connected to, you You have the ability to heal. And from that, you're going to have a deep ability. You have it now, the deep ability to feel real pleasure. Take it where you can get it.
0: Take it where you can get it. Mm-hmm. And in a society that has so many boundaries and so many rules about where you're allowed to get it. Mm-hmm. oh. And the layer upon layer of, like, colonization. Take it where you can get it. Okay, last question. How can people get in touch with you?
1: You can always go to resistantvision.com. And um, if you want, the date hasn't changed yet. I have to set this up. But if you're a lawyer out there, you need to settle your nervous system because...
0: Well, and this may be, uh, you know, this this, this podcast is actually being released on Cinco de Mayo
1: oh well never mind so, okay yeah there's a link i i, I can't say it because it's 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 like it's a creative right it's it's a lot but um, okay um,
0: so but, michelle basically has a uh a, a sort of some offerings and master classes and things like yes, that they will exactly. be included in the show notes for you so yes, tapping you for can lawyers can that's tapping what she, for that's, lawyers that's
1: that's the that's the thing i would hope you would join me for that because yeah will have no regrets
0: No, no regrets. And I will just say, full disclosure, Michelle is one of my EFT certification candidates and students, and Michelle is freaking awesome. So I'm really proud of all the things that she is doing as an EFT practitioner. So please go check out Michelle and particularly how to reclaim that pleasure and stop, you know, get off the hamster wheel. Michelle, this conversation has just been so delicious, so rich, like oh my god thank you so much for showing up for sharing oh, your you. truth thank for you being part it. of this so exciting Ah, oh, so good okay guys we would love to hear what you think about all of this leave comments reach out to michelle tell her i sent you and uh until next time peace as we come to the end of this episode i'd love to hear what you're taking from this show Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then, join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please, don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.